So welcome to the Remotely Human podcast, and this series is about how to hybrid. This is an opportunity to explore what hybrid might be and might mean, but also how. How do we make hybrid work in the workplace or in events, certainly in our life as leaders of businesses? In this podcast series, I'm joined with all kinds of interesting people. I'm going to be speaking to a horticulturalist, a drummer, a teen culture expert, and today, a former rugby player. And I really would like to welcome Leon, Leon Lloyd, who makes uh, my former boss of mine go dewy-eyed just at that name because he was a Leicester, he is a Leicester Tigers fan and he remembers you winning the cup for him. So he's like, oh yeah, I remember Leon Lloyd. So uh, welcome, Leon. Hi, Gary. Thank you. It must have been a great memory. It seems like a long time ago that, but I'm grateful all the same. Yeah, he's probably listening and he's very, very old and that's how he remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I picked on you, Leon, is that when I'm talking to a lot of leaders at the moment, anybody going back to work, there's this conversation about, has everything changed? And you had, and, you, and your work now, as I understand it, is that you help people with that moment when everything changes, because you've been through it. So I wonder if you could start by giving me a blast of who are you and why, why do you do what you do now? Yeah, well, how long have we got? I, I won't bore you to death with it. But what I will say is, yeah, I, I did play sport. My dream was to play football as a boy growing up in Coventry. But I ended up playing rugby. I turned pro, signed pro at the age of 16. Very fortunate to have a successful career to the age of 30. Now, I had, an in, I had a knee injury at the age of 20. Uh, and bearing in mind, no one in my family had played sport before. So I felt very privileged to have all the, you know, the spoils that come with that, the car, you know, the, the finance, everything else. I was always quite scared and nervous about that could leave at any moment in time an injury. So I started working and understanding what the real world was outside of the bubble, that elite sport that you're in, where everything's done for you, that structured world of being told where to be, what to do, what to eat, what to wear even. Uh, and so I thought I'd put things in place for when that time come. However, as I say, I managed to play till I was 30, lots of highs, uh, very few lows. But when my career ended through injury, uh, that was a real big low. But leading up to that point, you never know when it's going to happen. I always thought that, um, and so did my teammates, thought that I'd had my finger on the pulse and I'd be perfectly placed to transition from that world of sport into the, the real world, as I mentioned. But I was blindsided because I wasn't prepared at all. You know, I, I looked at the financial side and all the stats around, but what I didn't take into account was the fact of not being part of a team uh, and that identity that I developed. I wasn't Leon, you know, the dad, the husband, the entrepreneur, the, the director. I was Leon, the rugby player. And when that identity was taken away from me, I didn't know who I was and I had no fulfillment. So I went through a real tough time. So that, I suppose that's a, a shortened version of why I work in the space of transition at the moment, because I want to help athletes and also members of the military as well, help, help them think about what they can do now whilst they're still competing and living the dream and what can they put in place so that when that time comes, when they step away, that they're actually better placed to handle one of the biggest changes that's going to happen in their lifetime. And that's exactly what I want to speak to you because the leaders are going through that now because through no fault of their own, the future of work has happened sooner than we all expected. So I want to focus first of all on the emotional shift that might, you know, that, that might be going on in leaders' heads right now. Yeah, really good point. I think, uh, I don't know if you'll be familiar with the Kubler-Ross change curve, the seven stages of... of of dealing with with grief with Elizabeth Kudler-Ross that, that designed it. That was introduced to me maybe five, six years ago. And I was able to relate to those stages um, in my own sporting experience. And it's, it's interesting because when we met, Gary, you said something which you may or may not remember, but stuck with me was plan your panic. And that stuck with me because I always knew that I was going to have to retire at some point. 
Uh, and if I'd have planned better, I thought I had, if I'd have researched and planned better, then that panic, I would have been in a much better position to handle the, you know, each of those seven stages, certainly on the curve when you go down, um, much better I'd have been able to shallow that curve out. However, you talk about the pandemic, it's, it's, it's impossible to plan, you know, a black swan event, which comes out of nowhere. Um, I suppose uh, just being agile and, Again, even saying agility, it's affected all of us. I think I'm quite adaptable and agile as an individual and as a leader as well. But I've had to think on my feet really quickly. If I can think back to 18 months, the stuff that I've learned in the last 18 months has been unbelievable. Uh, and there's that, that sort of the integration phase now. I think we're all in that integration phase of trying to understand what, what works, what doesn't work. How can we implement that? How can we use technology? I think technology is coming hard and fast for, for all of us. So I think we're... we're starting to feel our feet a little bit. Certainly the, the feedback I'm getting starting to feel our feet a little bit, but there's a lot of anxiety, still anxiety around, do we know what's coming next? You know, how long will this, will that, this last and what can we put in place? I think what I'm seeing now is still a denial of, well, okay, it, is it over now? Do we go back to office? Now that, that's a little bit unkind because I know lots of businesses are deciding on what their hybrid strategy is. And there's still a lot of people are still on that decision. And, and I think that's right. And we'll explore that in this series that I don't think yet. I mean, there isn't a definition of hybrid. It's not been done before. So every every definition is different. But focusing specifically on what that means if you are experiencing it rather than just making the decisions. What's the emotional support that people need to put around themselves? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. You think what, what normal is. There, there was a point, certainly over the last 12 months, where normal would have meant just getting people back in the office, you know, the amount of people that were furloughed and not being able to work. Normal would have been getting my team back together in any shape or form, you know, having that those conversations. So the fact that people are thinking normal, the new normal, their new normal is three days a week, that's great because it just means people are working, people are getting back, working together in collaboration. So I think the thought process is like, you're right, we've never done it before. So it's a great opportunity for us to create our own normal. Now, I, I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I look back to one of my first proper jobs uh, and I had a really good team, really strong team. And some of them requested to work from home one day a week. And I remember at the time, bearing in mind my environment I came from before that in elite sport, where you couldn't do your job unless you were there. You had to be physically there. I was flabbergasted. That's not a word I use normally. That, that someone would even suggest asking to work from home. And now I look at it now and think, how short-sighted was I back then? Now I am going back you know, 10, um, 10, 12 years. But I think if you've got good people and you understand that the part that what the reason why they're in your team in the first place, allowing them the flexibility to, to work uh, to their strengths, which I think, genuinely think, that'll work to the overall organisational strengths. I think having that agility and that freedom to trust people is, is, is coming. And I think those who embrace it the quickest will be the, you know, the, the, the quick winners. The problem is, though, interestingly, it seems to be that the members of the team don't particularly want to return to office. Have you gone back to playing in a rugby team at all? I try. My, my, my knees are uh, on their last legs. And so I've gone, out, I've gone back and been involved around rugby teams. But yeah. I've not actually gone back. I'm not able to go and run and join in. I sort of join in from the side. Did that feel like, mm, I'd rather not do it because I can't do it as well. Is this possibly what's going on that, you know, well, the office isn't going to be the same, so I don't even want to go in. And is it the same? It, have you been through something like that? It's not going to be the same. You're right. It's not going to be the same. I'm seeing lots of offices, people downsizing for their, their space, their physical space. Uh, and then the creative innovators are using that space to do something else, which is great. I love seeing that. 
I'm a team person. I love team. I, I, lo- I need th- this whole hybrid approach to me. It hasn't impacted me that much because I work, I'm on the road, I work from home, I have an own home office and that, that's really great. So that part didn't impact me. The bit that did impact me was not being able to go and meet you, Gary, or go and meet somebody else or go and have a meeting because that's where I like to do my, my work, that face-to-face interaction. Like, we've employed people who I've never met. So I'm looking forward to when you can actually go and meet people because I, I don't think we should ever underestimate the power that has. But you're right, there will be people who don't want to do that. Um, and how do you manage that when you've got people who do, people that don't, and those people in between? That's, that's a real challenge. And it's a bit like not wanting to do press-ups or something, right? You have to do it as part of getting fit and strong for Absolutely. the sport. And I, I think there's a certain amount of you've got to try it and do it. And you might actually find that it becomes enjoyable, but pain, perhaps painful at the beginning. Yeah, pain, painful at the beginning. But I, I think it comes down to, the again, the company culture that you're with and the, the non-negotiables, how that set up, how that was set up initially. What are the non-negotiables? How do you work together? What... How, how have you had your successes? How have you recovered from your losses? And I think if you look at those things, you'll see it's collaboration largely is the is a result of some of those successes that a lot of organizations have had. And it's difficult to get that. If you can recreate that, uh, I've been exploring lots of different innovative ways of trying to recreate that from your home environment. But, you know, it's, it's still early days for everybody else. I think it's just trying to be agile and trying to work towards it. I'm interested in in um, whether we can draw on the sport experience for hybrid. And the reason I, I talk about this is that there are three elements to, for me in hybrid. One is what happens when you're individually working. Maybe you're the individual. You're, you're you, you are your player on the pitch. Maybe the team, but you know that you're the individual. And then you've got the the crowd, and that's almost like your your virtual audience. But there's the interplay that between the two that is is hybrid. Otherwise, you've got office teams and remote teams. So do you, did you feel the interplay with the audience when you were on the pitch? I love feedback because, especially in elite sport or elite anything, you, know, you only get better from feedback. Feedback's a gift. And in sport, like it or, or not, you get feedback instantly if you make a mistake or if you do something well. And, and equally, because of the crowd, you'd be able to feel it. You don't just hear it, you feel the crowd interaction. I could also look left to right and see my teammates give me feedback straight away. Then I'll finish the match and I'll go and get feedback from social media. So feedback uh, has been everywhere. So I think that is, that's hugely important in sport. Now I set you the challenge of let's play with the idea of what hybrid could become. And the, the mic on the ref, I find very interesting. We don't get that in football yet. And to me, that starts to become a hybrid type experience because you're in amongst it as a as an audience, we're hearing what you might hear. And at a, in a hybrid events, I think there's the, this interesting interplay of, you not only do you have to design the, the in-person experience and the remote experience, how do you make those connect the two? So it's not, it's more than feedback. It's also, can you get amongst it? Can you, can you hear the ref? Can you hear the conversation going on at the, lead, the, the top leader's table, if there's such a thing? So you can hear them discussing, I don't think we've landed that strategy very well. I think we need to rethink how we do the next session. Is there anything that you've seen happening in sport or, or, or in, your, in your now, in your current work that you, is useful or interesting? I see other, I've seen other sports and other countries use that innovation quite well, where it would never happen during my time as a, as a pro, where the halftime whistle blows and as they're walking off, the, there's an interviewer shoves a microphone into a player or a manager's face and asks them questions as they're walking off. And they're answering and they heat the moment. So they're sweating, they've got blood all over them and they've just come out of a battle. The fact now that people are 
being exposed to that and can hear those things. You hear what the, you know, you, you hear people what they say on the ref's mic. I think it's great. You can also pick up on how hard people are working on that, the wearable tech that people wear. So as a as a fan, you can get really immersed into. Oh, he looks like he's having a quiet game. You can pick up your phone and look at an app and see how many kilometers they've run or what their heart rate is. And those things again before weren't available. You you watched a match, you saw the result probably on teletext or something like that. That's how long ago it was when I played. Uh, but but now you can actually you hear the ref, you can hear the captain. Sometimes they have they have cameras in the changing room, so you can sometimes hear the pre-match talk without the tactics. You get the post-match interviews anyway. So as a fan, as a, as a in the audience, you're actually immersed within it. I've not been involved in that. So that's that's relatively new. So as a player, it'd be interesting to see or hear how they how they respond to it. Just be quite protective of your tactics and what goes on because sports are a very simple game. It's about marginal gains. So giving away that bit of what do you say at half time or uh, conversing with the referee or manipulating the referee or however you, however you want to uh, phrase it. They're they're small margin. They are small margins of how you don't really want to let your opposition know how you're doing that because that could be the difference between getting a decision or not getting a decision or your tactics about where you're going to play on the field. So I think there's going to be an element of having to decide on what can be shared, what can't be shared. But if it's live and in the heat of the battle, you're not going to have the, the ability to think on your feet and say, oh, I can't say that to the referee, or I can't say that, because you're just going to be living in the moment. So I think it leads to more authentic sport. And I think that's the interesting thing, that if we do open up in hybrid this opportunity to really get deeper into what's what do the leaders really think and say, then how open and honest will they be? Can they be? Do they feel safe to be? And, and that's where corporate culture becomes very interesting because it has to mix all of that in. It's not just about your employees feeling safe, but it's also about the leaders feeling safe. And I've got, I'm doing a podcast with Alison Coward and you're, as part of this series, and we all talk about team culture and making it safe. Really I, think that's, I think that's really good. And I'll, I'll listen out for that. I'm, I'm, massive, I'm massive on culture and teamwork, as I've mentioned before. And I think having that ability to, be, to show vulnerability amongst your peers it's becoming more and more common with the leaders that I work with. How authentic is an individual going to be? I, I don't know, but certainly behind closed doors and amongst your peers, that vulnerability and being able to having that that confidence and that feeling safe in that environment is crucial to actually understanding the individual and getting the best out of each other. I am deep in Euros. And so if you're listening to this when the Euros have been and gone, you'll have known the result. But um, right at the very first game, I was I hadn't seen live sport for a while. And I was amused about how intrusive the interviews are, but also the post-match review with you know, Gary Lineker and the team talking about the game. And I posted on LinkedIn saying, maybe we should do this for events. Maybe we should have, whether it's an online or, or remote or hybrid event, maybe we should also enable people that are interested and engaged to hear us talking. We always do it. We, you know, we, we do it, we review what happened, what went well, have we achieved our objectives, what, what's needed next. But wouldn't it be interesting if employees could hear that too? You would, yeah. It, it, I suppose what you did, it would show that... Um that the, the gap between where they may be and the senior leadership might not be as big as what they think. Yeah, I mean, if the leaders are saying, you know, I really don't think we've articulated that strategy very well. You know, everybody in the audience is thinking, I really don't think they've articulated that strategy really well. And if you can hear the leaders saying, it's like, yeah, I feel the same. And then, okay, then you understand why the next communication needs to be that open and openness. So in, in that spirit as well, so we're we're sharing a, a short version of this podcast, and, and then, but there is going to be a longer version available, which has us discussing what we thought did we get across what we wanted? So exactly that we're going to, and it's inspired by the post-match review. So I'll carry on with the questions in this podcast, but then we're going to have a chat about, did we land what we wanted to say? Okay. So the other challenge I had for you is that 
we're in the middle of the noise, right? So when you were transitioning from discovering you didn't have a team anymore and you needed to move in, you moving into the world of work, there's that messy bit. So if we have our magic time machine and go forward for a year, maybe two or three years, using your all your research and knowledge that you've done in business, what do you think is going to be happening? That's a great question. And if I knew the exact answer, I'd be a very wealthy man in two years' time. <laughs> I, I, I think um, if we look back two years ago, what we did two years ago didn't work a year ago. What we do now is likely not to work in a year's time, and certainly not in two years' time. I think the speed of, of innovation and this, this movable um, workspace that are in the landscape they're in at the moment. You can plan. It's, you, it's, I'm massive on having plans. You need a, I need a plan. I need to have that, that castle on the hill that I, can, I know I'm aiming towards. So that way, if I go off track, I know I've gone off track because I know I'm a, eventually I want to get where I want to get to. But I think having the ability to understand that that might be your plan too, but you may have to go backwards. You may have to go sideways. You may just have to react. You may, there can be some ups and downs along the way. I think that's going to be key. Um, we can't be so rigid as this is my plan. This is the road we're going to get there. We know that's, that's not how it happens, but I think we are still yet to see things that are going to come from this, this pandemic. There'll be, there'll be some really great things. There'll be some good things and there'll still be some bad things. There'll still be some shocks coming as well. I think there's being able to understand that this is where we are now. This is where we were two years ago. This is where we are now. We've adapted, we've scrambled, uh, and this is where we want to get to, to get back on track. I think that's important to understand putting those building blocks in place and holding on to your people, your good people, because your people are going to help you get to where you want to get to. I don't want to lose one of those just because they can't work at home or they don't have this, you know, they are now, they've got this new way of working because they've discovered it for the first time and now this is them. They've maybe set up a side hustle, they've got something on the side. So there's all these different things that are, that are working is understanding what works for me, the organisation, but also for the people that I want to, to come with me and share that journey with me. So I think that's going to be crucial for leaders to see who's there. I think they'll identify themselves anyway, who's in it uh, for the right reasons. And then some of them will identify themselves as not being in it, which is absolutely fine because you'll be, there'll be, I think there's going to be lots of people available. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's going to be a fascinating time, certainly over the next six six to 12 months, uh, I think, as we sort of hopefully come out the end of it. So, that, so what I take from that is that, um, and, and actually we've, I've got a, one of the podcasters with a horticulturalist to talk about hybridization of plants because go, let's go back to the core meaning of it and have some vision of what you want to create, but expect some chaos to get there. And, some, and I think that's the hardest thing that leaders are used to telling you this is how it's going to be. And therefore, employees are, are expecting the senior leadership to tell them this is how it's going to be. And nobody knows. But what I think I really draw from you, which I think I, I, is think about who you want and then muddle through the how. How powerful would it be if a leader was to turn around and say, it's tough. We don't know what's going to happen. We think this is what's going to happen. We don't know. What do you think? Because we're all in the same, all in the same boat. Uh, and we, we look for our leaders to instill confidence that we will follow what they're, where they're going. I think back to my leaders as my captains. I had Martin Johnson as my, my leader, as my captain, one of the best captains, if, well, the best captain England have ever had, you know, winning the World Cup. And whatever he said, we did, without even thinking, because we had full confidence in what he said. And did he get it right all the time? Absolutely not. No, he didn't. But we went there and the collective was able to turn a, a bad decision into a good decision because we had that confidence in our leadership. And there were times when he said, he would come out and say, oh, that didn't go according to plan. What do you think? And throw it back on us, which, which is great. And I think that's what it may need now is don't think, don't look to your leader 
or the leadership team to have all the answers because we've not, not been here before. You can contribute here and help shape what the future looks like. Yeah, so you were made to feel safe, but also that, I mean, in sport, there's always the random, otherwise sport would be rubbish, right? So so you can practice the set pieces. You can go, these yeah. bits we know, but you can't, you have to have that flexibility of, we've got, we've got a person down because of an injury, or we've got an unexpected newcomer on the other team that that does play that we don't ex- that, that that is is surprising and that, that happens in business too and that's why people love sports people to come and do talks right so they yeah. they love them because they there's so many analogies but it's also something that we can all engage in and learn from now that may have been your final hi- how to hybrid top tip but I, this is my uh, request did you what is your how to hybrid top tip I, I've learned lots from my children uh, because during this period of time, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see how they're interacting. It's the same for that they're also learning, uh, but li- seeing how they interact, engage, uh, and do things in their friendship groups, I've taken little bits of those things and implemented it in my own my own work, and I'm exploring that. So I think there's there's so many things that are out there that are being tried and tested. And again, I think this comes out the next six months or so when they, they come to market. But I think I, I look to my children and, and a young, the younger, I feel old saying that, the younger, the younger, I feel ancient, but just to see what, what's happening uh, at the moment out there in social groups and what can I steal from their social groups and implement in a more work and more commercial capacity. Love it. Thank you, Leon Lloyd. If people want more, then we are going to roll back our shoulders and just have a bit of a chat about how, you know, what else would we love to have covered? Um, but thank you for listening to How to Hybrid. If you want the longer version, then you will find it if you click below. Leon, that was great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you? I, I. I mean, virtual reality is a really interesting one because you know, does everybody have to have goggles on? Have you found another way to get over that? Uh, I have, I've, I've looked at it actually. So I, I've got a course, a speaker training course, and we, we've got clients who are, who are based overseas who are supposed to come on our speaker training program, but they can't because of travel and they don't want to isolate and, and those things. So it's taking them out. So we've had to try and think of ways. I don't want to deliver a session on like this because they're full day session and you don't, there's only so much time you can sit in front of a screen. So we've explored uh, the virtual reality option and there's some really clever and unique ways of doing that. So I don't, I don't have the answer as of now, but I'm certainly, I've been open to it and I've explored it and some quite cost effective ways of doing that. So I think that's going to be embedded as we go forward. Yeah, I think the, the hard thing is, is wearing a headset. If the, if you go the headset route all day, also a bit unpleasant because your heads are heavy anyway, right? Yeah. So no, it um, wouldn't be an all day thing. It would, it would be like for, for key meetings or right. key training or key workshops or just for like maybe I would say 45 minutes uh, to an hour maximum for the things that, that I'm delivering. There's been some interesting hologram tech. And in fact, I kind of remember when I was a, um, a student, one of my summer jobs, I was def- I was working for BT in Martisham Heath in Suffolk. And I was told about this, or shown video or something of this kind of little holographic people that you could have on your desk. It was quite bonkers. I may have just been um, away with the fairies, who knows? But um, that that seems to have not moved on. I've seen it happen at events, so that they bring a hologram of the. So if, if it's a road if a road show or a global road show, you can have different leaders be holographic on stage. But that feels like that. You know, you could have a hologram of one of your people sat around your desk. Maybe that yeah. would work. I've seen I've seen those at conferences where people welcome you in. I find in airports. I find myself just standing, staring at them, thinking, "How do they do that? How is that happening?" <laughs> 
Um, and I, I actually, um, I'm joined by Justin. We're joined by Justin, who's producing this. And you, you've got lots of events experience. You're allowed to unmute yourself, Justin, and join this uh, chatty bit. Have you seen any holographic stuff going on or virtual reality stuff? I recently did a virtual event with a company. One of the speakers was from, and now I have to think of who they're called, which I can't remember, but they, <laughs> I'll, I'll add that bit in later. We can later. add a link. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they were a AR VR company, and they're doing lots more with 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 that. And they were showing me things that they've done, where basically you can bands are like in the music world, bands are recording concerts, and you can basically uh, put it up on your phone and hold it to a desk, and they'll be playing on the desk in wow, front of you yes, basically okay. and that kind of on, thing on your phone on your phone yes yeah. so, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's it's via that you know and i'm sure that technology is just going to get better the holographic side of things the only thing i've really seen is uh like i think tupac did uh coachella yes, one year did. or something like Let's that do. but yeah no, i was involved in the event um i think it was with ee and they they used they, they there were so many of these that they needed to patch in um the leader doing elements of it and that that's very that was very interesting I went out and one of the, one of the purchases, a COVID purchase in our house was a, a PlayStation 4 VR machine. And we're not, we're not gamers in this house at all. Uh, and when it all started to unravel at the beginning, I thought, right, it's going to be homeschooling. What is homeschooling? I know what that means. I know now. Uh, so I went and, went and got one of the a VR for the, for the girls. And I, but we only bought, we didn't buy games. We bought um, educational things. So what, it, it's amazing. So you, with a mask on, they're doing art. And I can sit down watching them and they're literally doing art around them in the room with their handsets and they're really creative. And I can see it on the screen, but it's a different experience for them immersed with the headphones and the VR. Uh, and then also like, even like biology, they're going in inside the human body and traveling up the veins and so that, that sort of stuff was, that's been a real, real positive for them and their education, my education as well into the, into VR, uh, which we wouldn't have got. We definitely wouldn't have got one of those if it wasn't for that. Let's say Google Tilt, yeah, I think was probably one of them, right? And I've I've seen them and seen it played with. And but I'm interested in the sort of, there's an application. So my daughter's learning to bowl at cricket. And if you have Google Tilt, you can see whether you're getting your arm in the right place. You know, wow. the, the, so 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 as well as creating art, and also you can create paintings and shapes with your sports shapes, which I think I think that's an interesting sort of full circle of the conversation we've had about art and sport and business in, and using them inter interchanging them, maybe making a hybrid of those three perhaps. Absolutely. And you talked about where, do, where would, uh, what does the future look like? I think those, the students, the people who are, who are, are in that space at the moment in the designing, the AI, the VR stuff at the, the school and universities, they will have a better idea of what they think the future looks like. Um, because as I said before, we don't know what two years looks like, but there are people are working on those things already. So, what, so when they get drip fed out to us, I think that's going to be fascinating. So it's definitely, again, it's been open-minded. It's been open-minded to, oh, I don't, I don't think Zoom's going to work. I, I didn't like conference calls before where you, where you, call, where you phone in and everyone's on that, on a, you can't see each other. And I thought, I don't really do FaceTime. So I don't like having a call. I'd rather have a, a phone call with somebody rather than look at them on the phone. To moving completely to, to Zoom, where I had to change my business model. Because if I didn't, then we'd have no business. So now it's now it's part of my day. So what's next after Zoom? Is it VR? Is it, is it something else? Is it a hybrid approach? So I, I don't know. I've come full circle. See, my relationship with, with Zoom or video calling started with having a young child and family in New Zealand and family in Switzerland. So actually a phone with a young child is a nightmare because they just shake or nod their heads and nobody hears anything. Whereas you can use puppets and all kinds of different ways to engage on video calls. So I've been using it for over a decade. And I think there is that moment of I don't like looking at faces rather than I prefer I, I like to connect with people. 
and that's something that I think people need and maybe maybe that's something with that aren't very tech people that aren't very tech friendly see the machine more than they do the person yeah that's, that's a good point actually I haven't thought about that I, th- I think when you when you go through this period of isolation where we haven't worked with people I've sort of slowly started to get out and meet up with people in the only over the last month or so and there's times where I thought oh, I can do it on zoom why am I going to travel to them we can do it on zoom uh, and people have been more no let's do it let's catch up let's do this I'm like oh. so I reluctantly go down and when I'm there within seconds I've realized it was the right thing to do because I've sort of missed that I've, I've got conditioned into well let's just jump on a zoom or you know I'm, I'm not a phone call in ages now so let's jump on a zoom but actually having that you don't realize how much you miss it until you actually go and have that coffee or have that face-to-face and then you realize you can read body language you can, you can you can actually see things a bit more clearer and it does seem that businesses are going to have to say you have to be in the office because until you've done it, you don't realise actually it was fun and isn't you know isn't it great to meet up with people and actually the journey was less stressful from going straight from bread but straight from bed to the bathroom to the to the computer, you know that that commute could be seen as a pain but then you discover actually I looked out the window or I could catch up with some friends or read some stuff or meditate or whatever that. That time gives you something that you weren't, you're not getting in, the, in your current work life. The commute, that's a really good point, actually, because the commute for me when I, I worked in London was, a, was an hour and a half where I was able to decompress before I get home from the, the, the fast pace of, of London anyway into a sleepy little village. Um, and also I could help me prep on my way into work. There is, no, there is no commute now. So I come from a full day sometimes sat in front of a screen. Uh, again, same intense meeting, same you know, delivery. And then I walk out of this, this, this office and then within a couple of meters, that's my commute. And I'm, I'm in the kitchen talking to the family and it's difficult to find that switch. You know, there needs to be a period of where, you know, where you can actually decompress and just absorb what's just happened and reflect on the day before you step into family life. So work life, family life, that's quite a skill set to be able to draw a line and say, right, this is, because a lot of people working at home, they might be doing it from their kitchen table. They may not have an office. So where do you draw the line? I don't think that's going to be too healthy for people if, it's, if it all merges into one. I think you need to be able to separate the two. I certainly work better being able to, this is work time. When I step outside of this, laptop stays there, phone goes there, and now it's family time. And I haven't got it right all the time, but I do know when, I, when I've got it wrong because I can sat around. Physically, I'm there, but mentally, I'm still on my laptop doing stuff. And that, I think that's a, a result of the you know, the working from home piece as well. I think that's that's the interesting challenge, though. If you've only been working for three years or even less than that, at half of that time, at least half of that time, you haven't experienced that. So we're drawing on experience of quite a few years of work and commute, right? Five, five <laughs> or six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you've not had it, then you don't know, oh, actually, there might be benefits. And that's, yeah. I think, the biggest challenge that businesses have got. And, and I think it is a surprise because it's the, oh, it's, it's the young people. I hate that phrase, but it's the young people, the new employees that are desperate to come back to office because they're poor them, they're in share houses or they're isolated or whatever. But a lot of people are saying, well, not only does it cost me to get in, but I don't really see any benefit. And that's um, their normal, right? Let's not forget, that's their normal. So our normal is what we remembered before. If, if you're new to employment in the last you know, two, three years, this is your normal. You don't know, you know, yes. you don't, they don't want to get, they don't know what they're going back to. Uh, no. So that's going to be interesting to, because that's going to be new for them. 
And the going back to leads us to that final bit. And this is sort of my final challenge is that the leaders can't be back to either. So it's also got to be you're here. The worst thing that could happen is that you do that commute and it's awful and you get to the office and you're sat at your desk doing exactly what you could do at home, but without any of the benefits of being at home. So there's no chat, no getting together, no collaboration, no team culture. And that's the leaders kind of need to hit the ground running with we're going to let, let's let's use this time together to the be, in the best way. Yeah, I can. I, that might be painful commuting into work to hold a Zoom call with your team that are at home, uh, or some are at home and some are at work. That's going to be you know, getting that balance right, and that, that may be part of the non-negotiables that that they that they agree collectively. Because those that you know, if you're convinced to do something, oh, what, I can't remember said it now. Is it those convinced to do something against their will remain of the same opinion still? So if you force people to do it, they'll do it, but they won't. Want to, they'll always want to go back to what they did before. So it needs to be a joined-up approach. And that's going to be tough. That is going to be really tough. You've got to set the example. Uh, but again, it's understanding and agreeing those, those ground rules with everybody. Uh, and we'll hit the ground running, like you say. Thanks, Leon. That's great. I'm very happy. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Me? No, I think that's great. That's it. Thank, thank you for having me. 